0: Are you guys okay with spoilers about Discovery? I, I yeah, it's okay cool. At this point, like,
1: we're gonna get spoiled. <laughs>
0: okay, so basically, you saw the episode where she died. Yeah. yeah. Okay, then they go to the mirror universe. Okay, yeah. I'm that. I want to um, see that one because I love the mirror and, universe. And they, it's like the next one we're about to see. Yeah. Okay. All done? And essentially, Michelle Yeoh has a counterpart in the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. The, that evil Michelle Yeoh comes to the regular universe, uh-huh. and then she gets
2: drafted into Section 31. Wow. That is cool. Okay. So that's all we know. That's basically all we
0: know. Okay. Welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. If you've been following Star Trek Discovery, you were just treated to one crazy, emotional roller coaster ride over the past 14 weeks. I'm still catching my breath from the season finale, and my head is just swimming with questions about the future of the show. But now, our eyes turn not just to the future of Star Trek Discovery, but to the future directions of Trek in general including a whole new series dedicated to the nefarious Federation organization called Section 31. While we probably won't see the Section 31 series until after the Picard show launches, and probably not until after the third season of Discovery 2, it's something that my good friends Henry and Laura know have been looking forward to for a very, very long time. Today, I'm bringing you audio from my trip up north to Victoria, British Columbia, where I spoke to Henry and Laura about their hopes for the Section 31 show. Fair warning, you're going to be hearing a lot of baby noises in the background today. That's just their toddler and the future of Starfleet playing around. Every time Max speaks, just imagine that he's giving his deep, insightful thoughts on Star Trek in a language that the Universal Translator hasn't quite figured out how to parse. Now, to set up this interview, let me tell you a story. The story of how I met Henry and Laura No because it's a pretty nice tale, one that relates to science and academia. I met Henry in the spring of 2012, during our prospective graduate school visit to Caltech. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with graduate school admissions, they generally work like this. You apply to a bunch of programs in the fall, and in the winter, some of those programs let you know that they've accepted you. And then, it's on those schools to convince you to join them. This is because the term graduate student is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, you're sort of technically still a student. You take classes for your first few years, and you learn from professors and mentors. But you're also joining the academic workforce. You're actually doing the heavy scientific lifting, the 99% perspiration that makes your advisors 1% of inspiration pay off. In some cases, you're thrown into the deep end of research before you've fully been taught how to swim. The vast armies of graduate students flowing through academic institutions all around the world are what keep science going. The general public usually doesn't realize this, but it's true. It's the students who are doing the majority of the work. So if you're a graduate program, It's important that you show your prospective admits a really nice time, or else, cue forbid, they'll all choose to go to Harvard instead. Thing is, these visits can get pretty tiring for the people who are being recruited. I can't tell you how tired I was of answering, what are you interested in working on, and who do you want to work with, over and over again. If I ever knew the answers to those questions, I just wasn't sure anymore. Actually, I didn't even care. Because towards the end of my Caltech visit, I was just beat. Meeting with professor after professor, grad student cohort after grad student cohort. At the end of the day, I, I even completely blew off two meetings with faculty members because my mind was just drained. Funny story is, one of those faculty members actually became my thesis advisor. So, at the end of the day, the current grad students took all of us Prospies out to a bar in Pasadena. T-Boils was its name, in case you're familiar with Pasadena. If you're not, let's just say it's not the greatest place in the world. T-Boils is kind of ratty. The entrance is down a sketchy alleyway that invariably smells like urine. Quark would probably call it a fixer-upper. Inside, Surrounded by chatty people who somehow still had dilithium in their warp cores, I was sitting on a stool, trying to avoid everyone, considering playing shuffleboard with myself to erode away the evening. I didn't want to be there, and honestly, I wasn't so sure if I wanted to go to Caltech. Just then, my ears perked up. Someone, somewhere, was talking about Star Trek. Something, something trip. Something, something to Paul. Something, something Zindi arc. I got off my stool and moved closer and closer to this extremely nerdy conversation. The crowd parted like a nebula giving way to Voyager's sleek aerodynamic design. And in the middle of the room, with lights shining down on them from above, was Henry No and Peter Gab. They were enthusiastically engaged in a debate about the merits and shortcomings of Star Trek Enterprise. I jumped in, and before I knew it, I had two new friends. Towards the end of the night, I must have said something like, I'm so glad I met you two. To which Peter replied, Well, if you really want to talk to somebody about Enterprise, you should meet Henry's wife, Laura, who knows every little detail about all of Star Trek. And so that's how I first heard about the legendary Laura No. And that was one of the pivotal moments for me deciding that I wanted to pursue a PhD in planetary science at Caltech.
1: Yay! I'm glad I inspired you to go to Caltech. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're
0: the reason why. It Aww. wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> science and it wasn't JPL, wasn't it? Yeah. So Henry and Laura, you guys have been um, longtime Star Trek fans, and you've watched about the first half of... The first season of Discovery, and then you kind of stopped because there was something else distracting you. Do you want to talk about uh, (laughs) what that was? Sure,
1: he's distracting us right now. His name is Max, and he is 18 months old, or almost 18 months old. He was born days before Discovery aired.
2: Four days. Four
1: days, something like that. It was the first TV show he ever saw. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then you know, sleep-deprived new parents, we were unable to keep up, so we haven't seen most of Discovery, which is embarrassing to say from a Trekkie, I feel so bad. (laughs) It's
0: all good, you have a very good excuse but I think that there will be a new show coming out soon that I think Max will really enjoy. They're planning a cartoon series that will be uh, family oriented and will be shown on Nickelodeon, I think is the latest rumor. So it really will be um, a, a fun ride for a kid growing up like Max.
1: yeah yeah Yeah. that'll be great i hope they put it on netflix eventually because we don't buy cable yeah (laughs) i know (laughs) know, we're normal (laughs) millennials (laughs) like who buys cable
0: exactly i think max is excited about (laughs) that Yeah.
1: yeah yeah you excited you gonna be a trekkie can we dress you up in a star trek uniform next halloween
2: He's thinking about He's thinking. it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think we should just start off with some introductions about who you guys are. Um, so you're originally from Canada, yes. uh, and then you were down in Pasadena for five years, and then oh you moved babies. back up to Canada. So Baby. what are you guys
2: doing now? Well, you go first, since you're the more Star Trek person.
1: Well, I'm just an average person. I'm not a scientist. I just work as uh, in an administrative role at the University of Victoria currently, and when we were at Caltech, I worked as an administrative role at Caltech. But I'm not a scientist. I'm just a regular, everyday, normal human being. <laughs> like scientists can be normal. No scientist can't be normal. I've been to Caltech. We used to say, "I'm a real person."
2: Yeah, so I'm Henry. I'm I'm a planetary astronomer. I feel like I'm kind of halfway between the planetary science fields and the astronomy fields, and I currently work for the National Research Council of Canada in Victoria. There's an observatory, it was, a, it was 101 years old this year. Uh, and that's where I'm a postdoctoral researcher there. Uh, and I study planets and I'm interested in how planets form, how they grow up, and then I'm also interested in finding new planets uh, with telescopes in Hawaii.
0: That's great. So actually looking for and trying to understand the formation of real-life strange new worlds. <laughs> yes, that's great. <right. laughs> that's awesome. So, how did you two get into Star Trek? What is your Star Trek origin story?
1: I remember watching the early seasons of Voyager. My mom and my brother liked watching the show, and they'd always have it on in the background. And I remember specifically, I think the first episode I truly noticed was maybe when Naomi Wildman was born. And then it was just, like, always there growing up. But I think I got into it when I was maybe 10 or 11 That's around the time Voyager was airing, so that's the first series I started with. Then I grew to be a DS9 fan, and then the rest of the series followed quite quickly. I also read many of the books, and then Henry came into my life, and then I got him into Star Trek, which I guess you can talk about.
2: Sure. Well, actually, my first exposure to Star Trek was when I was like probably seven or eight, and uh, my morning routine at that time would be to wake up. I helped breakfast and then we watched Scooby Doo on TV. And, it was Scooby-Doo, and then when Scooby Doo ended, this weird show came out next. And I think it was TNG based on what I've seen now. And there's all these weird people just weirdly with weird noises. Uh, and basically, I didn't really like it. And the theme song coming up meant it was time to get ready to go to school. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was, that was my very first experience. But you stuff. liked school. I like school, yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't a bad thing, it was just just be like, okay, now it's school time. uh, So yeah, then when when I got older and I met Laura, she introduced me to Star Trek and Stargate and a lot of other sci-fi TV shows. Uh, So everything I learned from Star Trek, I learned from watching it with Laura. Uh, I think we watched a few episodes of Voyager, and we would do this thing where we would watch episodes together across the internet. I think we were on MSN Messenger and then we would press play at the same time so we could like, discuss the episodes as we were watching it. Uh, but like, basically the only series I've seen from start to end is, is Star Trek Enterprise. And I really like the new Star Trek movies as well. I feel like I'm more of a fan that came in with like, the newer stuff from J.J. Abrams and onward. Mm-hmm.
0: That's really cute. I didn't know that about you two, that you would <laughs> watch Star Trek together, separated physically but connected over the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Max has uh, basically brushed all of his little cracker stars onto the floor, making the floor look like a galaxy, but I'm sure that that's uh, <laughs> something that Henry needs to remedy, and he's doing that right now. So um, so yeah, Henry, uh, you came into Star Trek mainly uh, as a fan of the, the latest series, Enterprise at the time, and then the J.J. Abrams <laughs> movies. While we were in grad school together, we really didn't have any Star Trek on TV. It was mostly those movies, and I remember we watched Into Darkness together when it premiered, and then Beyond together when it premiered. But throughout that entire time, we would always talk about what we wanted Star Trek to sort of come back as on TV, because it was inevitable.
1: (laughs) He has some opinions about this movie. Yeah, Max (laughs) has
0: opinions. (laughs) He wants to talk, Um, and something that you two have always wanted was a series based around Section Thirty One. Yes. And only very recently was it announced that such a series was in development and coming up. So you guys are very excited for it. So I wanted to ask, what did you like about Section Thirty One in the
2: previous incarnations of Star Trek? I heard first heard about Section Thirty One in Enterprise, of course. I think Malcolm Reed was recruited. It 30, Section Thirty One. He was, well, he was already part of that before he joined Enterprise's crew so I thought like it was really cool that there was like this other shadow organization uh, behind everything and like how much power has influence on because Malcolm Reed is very loyal to Captain Archer but he still felt like he had to do what Section 31 required him to do when, when he was called for it uh, and also I think like one of my favorite episodes watching uh, with Laura was the, the DS9 episode the in, in, the in, in the Pale Moonlight, and I think like that really explored, like, what, like, there's all these morals and principles that Starfleet has, but sometimes me, me, me. doing the thing that's better for everyone may mean you have to violate some of those morals, so I think Section 31 is kind of like that idea. It would be interesting to see more of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's this amazing shadow organization that most people in the Federation don't even know exists, and then puts this... Stark moral contrast between what the Federation generally stands for and what it does to allow the rest of the, of the Federation to exist.
1: As much as I love the happy, idealistic side of Star Trek, I love that DS9 explored like the dirty underside of the universe because, like, there has to be some sort of dirty underside, it makes sense. So and I really loved all the Dr. Bashir episodes of Section 31. Those are some of my favorites. Oh, I didn't
2: know Dr. Bashir was in Section 31. Oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have to excuse my husband. To be fair, um, when we started watching sci-fi, that's when Stargate was really popular, so he focused on that mm-hmm. and then saved Star Trek for later. Uh, But that, the Bashir, Section 31, I just, I love that. And like Henry says, episodes like The Pale Moonlight, they're some of fan favorites. They're fantastic. The acting in that is amazing. So I can't wait to expand on that. Plus, it'll be fun to see characters that we can explore more deeply like. There's so many different storylines that you can do. Maybe there could be some time travel with Section 31 even, or, you know, you could do a lot of episodes at Starfleet in San Francisco about the shady things they do there. Like, there's so many possibilities.
2: Oh, the Academy. Yeah,
1: yeah, or the Academy, maybe they're, they're uh, what was that group called? I feel like...
0: Red Squadron? Yeah, Red
1: Squadron. I bet there's a lot of cool Section 31 stuff going to happen with that.
0: Uh-huh, yeah.
1: One of the other series that I always said I wanted was a Star Trek Relativity series. I think that would be so awesome. I've said it for years. I really want them to do that. Because uh-huh. you could just make them go back in time to like all the old episodes, and kind of like uh, Trials and Tribulations. You can bring back any character. You can go into the future.
0: Yeah, for those listening uh, who aren't familiar with Relativity, this is from an episode of Voyager, where there's a basically federation time ship from i'm gonna get this wrong it's either the 29th or the 31st i think century, it's the 29th. 29th century and basically they are part of the temporal police um and they have to go back in time to stop all sorts of bad things from happening in the past and so that's another thing that laura's hoping will happen because uh, i think there's plenty of creative opportunities there so we know we know very little about the new Section Thirty One series, but we do know that it will star Michelle Yeoh as Emperor Georgiou from the Mirror um, Universe, coming recruited as a Section Thirty One operative. In past Star Trek episodes, Section Thirty One was almost thought of as like the bad guys or they were like not the main characters right the main characters had to interact with section 31 and face those moral quandaries but now we're going to get a series that is focused on section 31 as the main characters so what kinds of storylines or plot lines or moral issues do you hope would be tackled Mm. in this type of series it's a good
2: question yeah, well, I guess in especially I mean, I'm mostly familiar with Section Thirty One through Enterprise, and in that sense, like Section Thirty One, weren't the protagonist or the Malcolm Weed was the Section Thirty One officer, it was more like okay, if you were a normal Starfleet officer and you had this decisions to make about Section Thirty One, like how do you sympathize with them? Do you not? And I feel like maybe it was easier to sympathize with Section Thirty cause uh, from that perspective because. You're like, well, you know, we're living this happy life, utopia, utopian world. Well, I guess something just have to happen in order to keep this utopian world to be true. Yeah. But maybe now that the viewer will be in Section 31 itself, we'll see even more about it. And maybe there'll be a lot more uncomfortable decisions that people are making. And it'll we'll really, I think, challenge how we feel about the utopianness of the Star Trek.
1: I always thought of Section 31 generally as good guys. Are they always doing good things? No, but they're trying to protect the greater goods. So I think of them as kind of gray zone but towards good if that makes sense oh interesting um but that's definitely something you can debate and fight over (laughs) no
0: i think that's that's very interesting and there's no right or wrong way to view section 31. that's what's Uh, brilliant about it i know i always thought of them as like the bad guys that i wish didn't exist because they ruined my idea of this utopian future i'm like oh no they uh i can't believe the federation actually has this dark side I wish that they could sort of eliminate it so that they could be completely pure and good. But, you know, nation building isn't always a... Is, is messy sometimes. And so there are these times when you might need somebody to do something that's not completely ethical for the greater good of the future of, of your nation, I suppose. And that's... I mean, it kind of... I don't know if we want to get into, like, parallels to what's happening in the world today but you know there's a lot of like shady stuff that governments are doing right now and you know i'm sure that the people who are engaging in those shady activities are doing it because they think that that's the right way to proceed to maintain the sanctity and safety of their nation but it may not always be like the clear-cut good thing to do
1: i really hope we see some sort of version of sloan because like I realize it's the wrong timeline, but maybe there can be some sort of time travel or, or some form of him with some cool technology that would be awesome. Because he's one of the best characters, I think. Uh-huh. He's what so. You, what mysterious. did you like about Sloane? Just that he's so mysterious. Because you never, you never know like what his backstory is or who he is or what he's up to. Mm-hmm. You can never really be sure.
2: Is this the Section Thirty One guy? Or... In, oh, in DS Nine. Oh, yeah. DS Nine. Okay. Not no. The guy I talk about from
1: no but he's similar like oh. similar idea like this creepy
2: like you don't know who he is yeah I guess this will be a chance for like starting to do more of this like trademark examining philosophy and then like, you can really look into moral philosophy like relative morality because like what one person defines as ethical could be very different uh, from different perspective and, and different backgrounds. But so I guess like we, we don't really know what Section Thirty One is. Like we've only seen like snippets from it from here and there. So like maybe what we have seen so far is not really representative of Section thirty one at all. And it could actually yeah. be a very different organization than what we che- are expecting. That's actually very true. Absolutely.
0: I was um a little bit Shocked at what happened with Section 31 in Star Trek Into Darkness, which was, of course, the other timeline that people are calling the Kelvin timeline these days. Okay. And um, in Enterprise and in Deep Space Nine, it didn't seem like Section 31 had any, like large-scale military force they were just shady people in the background manipulating yeah, the strings. it was like the
1: early days it looked like
0: yeah and then in into darkness all of a sudden you have this admiral who's a part of section 31 and he has this huge starship um, that he goes and chases the enterprise down with and it seems like section 31 is very well integrated into the federation in terms of using federation assets and resources and technology yeah. And even building a giant starship yeah. in orbit of Jupiter. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so. For
1: all we know, Sloan could be some sort of Section 31 outlier. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's like a rogue agent. That would be like a cool idea to explore ro- rogue agents within Section 31. Oh, you agree, Max? Okay, good.
2: Yeah. But when we first saw the yeah. designation of the Discovery ship, it was like 1031, right? So uh-huh. we thought oh, maybe this is an illusion that it's oh, actually yeah. Discovery is going to be Section 31. Because the, the whole secret project uh, that it has, like the, what is it called again, like the... The Spore Drive? Spore yeah. Drive, that's Yeah, where, uh,
1: yeah I <coughs> forgot about that. We,
2: yeah, we did we really think that for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know maybe that's very really resolved why is called uh-huh. number 1031 <laughs> <It's in> <laughs> since then, but... Nobody has explained it. No, 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 okay. No. Um,
0: it could just be a number it could just be a number so something else that has happened is it's been revealed that section 31 have those black badges uh like just pure black combat and those were like people wearing those were seen walking around and just on the discovery in some of the earlier episodes so there were section 31 agents on discovery but nobody has explained that Yes. Oh. Wow. Like what they were doing there, and why they were there, and where they ended
2: up going, because they were never seen or heard from again. And they were just blatantly there. Like they were not like you know, just wearing the badges. Like everyone knew about them. Yeah. Huh. Huh. So well, that could be
1: an entire season of the Section Thirty-One series right there. Absolutely.
0: Well, I, I think that was a really great discussion. Um, if, is there any last comments that you guys wanted to make about Section 31? Or...
1: They're so cool. They're
0: so <laughs> cool. Yeah, they're, they're
2: really cool. I think this will be a very exciting series. Absolutely. Um, Max, do you want to have the last word? Maybe you can
1: say bye-bye to everyone? Can you okay. say bye-bye? No. Bye-bye, viewers. <laughs> bye-bye. Bye-bye, Max. He's like, I don't work on command. Yeah. <laughs> I need to talk
2: to my agent. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How much am
1: I going to pay for this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to Mike's viewers.
0: <laughs> that concludes episode 68 of Strange New Worlds. I'm so glad that I finally got my friends Henry and Laura know on this show because they've been such a big part of my science and Star Trek life for the past seven years. Now that we've all relocated to the Pacific Northwest, I hope that I can have them on as periodic guests. Wouldn't it be the cutest thing in the world to have a segment of Strange New Worlds where Max reviews the newest Nickelodeon Star Trek show? I love that Star Trek is so intergenerational, giving friends and families something to bond over and talk about. And that's really the best part about Star Trek to me, the people that it brings together. My dad showed me Star Trek when I was a kid, and now I get to see the next generation grow up in a Trek household through Henry, Laura, and Max. The future is looking pretty bright, after all. Oh, I didn't really ask you guys how Star Trek, like inspired you or or changed your life in, in what fashion?
1: Well, if it wasn't for sci-fi in general, I never would have met my husband. That's for sure. Uh, okay, this is an embarrassing story. But I was really <laughs> into Stargate at the time, because that's when it was airing. And there was an episode in, like, I think the sixth season, where Sam and Jack get on this really cool, like plane spacecraft thing, I think they're moving the Stargate into outer space, I can't remember what the episode is about, but I saw that plane and I'm like, that's so cool, I want to fly that. And so, I found out from another person I knew that this thing called Air Cadets existed in Canada, and it was like, kind of like a military program, but for teenagers, so I joined, because you can get your pilot's license for that, and Henry was already in it, so that's how we met. So, if it wasn't for sci-fi in general, I never would have met him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I
2: didn't know that was the reason oh, you- Oh, sh- no! Oh, this is a little bit of water, it's okay.
1: He it- spills a whole glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Henry? Here, I'll take him.
2: Okay.
1: Come here, Stinker.
2: Aww. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Retro- Star Trek and stock sci-fi in general, it like opened up a whole new community of people that to be friends with and, and like it gave me something in common with other people, so like, most uh, of my introduction to sci-fi on television is with see Laura, Laura about Stargate and then my friend Peter Gao uh, we met during the college and uh, he was also really into Stargate. He could like recite all the Stargate lines and even like episode titles from a like, description of what's going on.
1: He uh, was a little bit borderline
2: obsessed. <laughs> 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 yeah. But it's funny because like Laura was sending me some like these music videos that people, the fans were making at the time, where they take like you know popular songs and they put it together with uh, the, the scenes from the episodes, and like uh, he, he sent sending me a whole bunch of them, and I realized they were actually made by Peter. <laughs> and, and then like, of course like what, what Mike's story, like when you told me what you said at the beginning, like that's how we met you too. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of my best friends now oh, we have met through science fiction. So. You know, when I was really busy, stressing out, writing my thesis, Peter visited
0: Caltech, and I can't remember for what reason.
1: He's always at Caltech. He's always at
0: Caltech. You anyway. think for
1: somebody who's married and has a kid, he wouldn't be at Caltech as much. But.
0: Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Peter visited, and I was really stressing out. I was working on the weekend, and, and Peter was just like, Mike, just take a break and watch this. And he pulled out his laptop and showed me one of his music videos. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty great.